Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast brought to you on a fine summer's day in southwest London, which is not something I've been able to say for the past month, and that is absolutely no exaggeration whatsoever. And to verify my story on that, we have Matt Roberts. Hello, Matt. Hello. Yes, I've actually uh, escaped from southwest London to my to my seaside retreat, also known as my parents' house, uh, where it is also a lovely day, but I don't think they've been able to say that for a month either. It has been miserable in the UK in in July and the first few days of August. But yeah, today, much better. Yeah, for anyone not in UK, um, remember that weather we had during Wimbledon where it, <laughs> it rained pretty much all the time, but was also sort of uncomfortably muggy. Well, that, that continued throughout July, which was... A total dud. But anyway, we have high, high hopes for August or certainly the next two weeks of August before we swan off to New York. We booked our flights this week, Matt. We're very excited. Um, And of course, given that the greatest sporting event in Solihull history happened this week, David Law (laughs) must, must be with us, right? He wouldn't miss the opportunity, Matt, to talk about the single greatest achievement in oh. in Solihull sporting history, but he wouldn't miss that for a for a family holiday in Bordeaux. He wouldn't do that, <laughs> and and the people of Solihull wouldn't possibly arrange for it to happen when David's not here. I mean, that just it's just not possible. David has to be here, right? I honest, I honestly thought David. I thought we might wake up this morning to messages saying. Do you know what? I just can't resist. I secretly bought my recording equipment to France and I I have to be on it. Well, I know he took his recording equipment to France in case of any emergencies. And honestly, I thought this might be an emergency. Yeah. Of a good variety. Do you think if Dan Evans had won a Grand Slam, he would... (laughs) If David's arranging holidays for during Grand Slams, then we've got problems. We're, we're, we're in serious <laughs> trouble. Yeah, um, it is just Matt and I today, if that is not uh, abundantly clear. But that means that we can say whatever we like about David in his absence. So, so do stay tuned for that over the course of the next hour. <laughs> we'll, of course, be talking about Dan Evans' biggest ever career victory in Washington. Before that, we'll be talking about Coco Goff's first ever victory on home soil in Washington. And before that, folks, I need to tell you about Matt's sponsor. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. <laughs> yep, we need to keep Matt in clothes. So Wilson mm. are back. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is brought to you in association with Wilson, official ball of the US Open for the last 45 years. Uh, that means that the Wilson US Open ball was used by Tracy Austin in taking the 1979 and 1981 titles. Serena Williams winning six titles and David writes Pete Sampras winning the final match of his glorious career against Andre Agassi in the 2002 final he still haunts the podcast even when he's not here Matt extraordinary is Constant um, Lestien going to come up in this ad read? 
to mark the 45th year that the Wilson US Open ball is in use, we have two pairs of tickets to this year's US Open to give away to two friends of the tennis podcast. The tickets are for Arthur Ashe Stadium Court on Tuesday, the 29th of August. That is the second day of the tournament. The link to enter for Friends of the Pod will be available in the Tennis Podcast newsletter, which goes out, uh, David's written, soon slash on Monday night. Uh, <laughs> so a bit, a bit of flexibility in there for you, Matt. And you have until 11.59pm Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday to enter so if you're a friend subscriber who doesn't get the newsletter for whatever reason or you become a friend after the newsletter has gone out send an email to friends at tennispodcast.net and we will provide you with the link although if you're a friend subscriber not getting the newsletter sort that out because you are (laughs) missing out on top-notch content and good luck what a prize. What a sponsor. Uh, let's let's move to Washington, shall we? And let's lead with Coco Goff, who beat Maria Sakkari straight sets in the final 6-2, 6-3 to win the biggest title of her career. She also beat Belinda Bencic, uh, Ludmila Samsonova. Um, I mean, just an absolutely commanding week from Coco Goff. And this is going to be one of those awkward podcasts where... We don't know how much to read into anything. It could be a week that we end up looking back on as a huge turning point or they could end up being just isolated, excellent weeks for certain players. But I really hope this is a massive step forward for Coco Goff because in the words, Matt, of something that you tweeted earlier in the week, I think after her semi-final victory or perhaps her quarter-final, there was just no anxiety with watching her this week. You weren't constantly watching that forehand, waiting for it to break down or feeling worried about it breaking down. She just... And I didn't feel like it was on her mind either. She just... She looked unburdened in Mm. a way that I haven't seen her for months. Yeah, that's a really good word for it, I would say. It was a a totally different experience watching Coco Goff this week to watching her... I would kind of say in the last year, really. Um, and the main reason for that was the forehand, because just as you said, it wasn't it wasn't breaking down. And therefore, I felt like I really saw the other parts of her game that are so good. You know, it, it's always been... The backhand. <laughs> of course, the backhand. Uh, you know, it's always... It's always been a tricky one with Goff because it feels like we've spent so long talking about sort of how bad her forehand is. And yet she's been a top 10 player in the world and has reached the Grand Slam mm-hmm. final. And she's still a teenager. And it's like, I almost feel bad. Like, why are we focusing on this on this forehand when there's clearly so much else to her game that's so good? It was just impossible to ignore the forehand for so long. And yet this week, I think we really saw why... Even with that forehand, she's been able to be such a good player still because, yes, the backhand is great. But mainly I'm, mainly I'm thinking about the retrieval skills and the movement and the physicality that she brings to the court. All of that was just heightened and exceptional this week. And the serve as well. I mean, that was, that was something that Pam Shriver pointed out on Twitter, just how much better Coco Goff was serving this week. And honestly... I I remember watching Coco Goff as a junior 
And the serve was what stood out to me. I was like, wow, she's got an amazing serve. And I, th- I don't think that has quite translated or moved over into into her time on the Pro Tour. I mean, it, we've known it be a weapon at times, but it's also been a bit of a weakness for her. And this week it was just pretty much a weapon. She was mix- mixing up the direction, hitting a lot of aces, being really assertive with that shot generally. And yeah, she was she was in such a great sort of mood all week, sort of clearly loving the fact that her tennis was so good, uh, confident, thriving, flourishing. It was just it was just so great to see Coco Goff like that. And yeah, three top twenty wins, biggest title of her career, first in the US. It just feels like such a big deal. And I don't think you can completely fix your forehand in three weeks you know like we saw Coco Goff at Wimbledon and a few weeks ago and the forehand was still a problem like I don't think it's necessarily done completely but it's a really good first step and I'm sure there'll be backward steps in this journey to making that forehand what it what she wants it to be but this feels like the first time we've seen a breakthrough in a very long time it felt like the sort of week she needed she needed to changed the narrative around her a bit and I feel like she managed to to do that this week it was it was so great to see and from how she was talking all week I get the impression that the the results the the proof in the pudding coming this quickly is a surprise to her ahead of the tournament being asked about the new coaching team she's put together she hired Pear Reba at the start of the summer and she notably added Brad Gilbert to the team this week I think the first week of them being all together was this week in Washington she described it as a rebuilding period and then she starts rebuilding and immediately (laughs) looks completely rebuilt Um, I mean as you say of course she isn't Um, she will face sterner tests and I, I just don't think it's possible to put the kind of technical woes that she's had behind her in in this shorter space of time but it is interesting that you know I wonder if just that feeling of bringing in a new team resetting putting a putting a stamp on it all of okay this isn't about results this is about some building blocks um maybe that relieved some of some of the pressure that she's been feeling and she doesn't she never complains about pressure or really talks about it but of course she feels it because mm-hmm. of course we all pile it onto her and you know we all go into every press conference of hers and ask her about her forehand and she deflects doesn't she she's been big time deflecting about it but that is revealing in mm-hmm. itself yeah yeah and i think when we when we mention those that new coaching team again that's always a tricky thing to bring up because you don't want to just absolutely say oh this is all down to a new coaching team you know Coco Goff is still the one who has to go out on the court and implement it and and get it right and also you know tennis players are independent contractors they're the ones who who hire the coaches so if if we are giving the coaching team credit that's also credit for Coco Goff for finding the right coach you know Mm. and I think and being willing yeah being humble enough to to say something needs to change yeah and I think it was a quite a long process for her to find uh, Reba, who she yeah linked up with in the summer. I, I think she said she spoke to a lot of coaches, 
um, eventually sort of landed on the right one, sort of chemistry-wise, and just a- adding Brad Gilbert in for a bit more experience as well. I, I, I think it is looking like a really good, astute move and, and really good combination at the moment. How surprised were you to see Brad Gilbert pop up in the Coco Golf <laughs> box? Fairly. Scale of 1 to 10. <laughs> yeah, fairly. <laughs> 7 or 8 out of 10, I would say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm never surprised to see Brad Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> like, around. Around. He's always there. Yeah. But in the Coco Golf coaching box, yeah, took me back. Mm. Yeah. Um, the other new thing that she's brought to the party this week is a celebration dance. Mm. Um, so uh, I know correlation is not causation, but is that Brad Gilbert related? We might never know. <laughs> is that something they've been working on? Um, but I think we like it, right? Oh, really liked it. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It was just indicative of this confidence and this mood that she seemed mm. to be in i think all week and and also what i the other thing i really loved was um after one of her matches uh she gave this speech to the crowd i think it was the one against benchik she sort of gave this speech to the crowd about how um she'd done her cpr course very recently because a lot of people in the stands were fainting or passing out because it was so hot in washington uh, a lot of matches were interrupted and Coco Goff just gave this speech at the end of one of her matches saying, yeah, I was sort of, I was ready to jump in there. I've, I've done my course. And she said, you know, everyone should do it. It, it only took me an hour, 90 minutes. I booked it on the way back from Wimbledon. And it was just a reminder that she is so mature. And I think that was such a defining feature of Coco Goff. Well, all her career, really. But again, because I've been so caught up in this forehand narrative, I've sort of mm. forgotten about those sort of parts of Coco Goff. And, and that, that is that is probably a me problem. Those those parts have still been there. But it just felt like we saw all of that again this week. We saw the confidence. We saw the great game. We saw the maturity. And I just wasn't wasn't thinking about the things I've been thinking about with her game recently in a long time. And I, I love it when a player changes that narrative and yeah I, I thought it was such an uplifting week watching golf it's got to be one of the toughest looking tournaments to sit and watch tennis and I, I say that as if everybody there is there because they've got a gun to, to their heads they've all <laughs> they've all chosen to buy tickets to go and watch the tennis and I'm very glad they do and it looks like a really great event I'd love to I'd love to go to it one day except that the the climate at the time of the year that it's held does put me off and the fact that there there is no shade on that centre court anywhere. There is no relief from it. And actually the the flapping of fans in the crowd is... I'm surprised the players don't get more distracted by it, quite frankly. I mean, maybe they do and they just accept that, you know, fans got a fan because <laughs> it, looks, it looks so deeply, unpleasantly hot. Um... Yeah, there's some there's some kit that could do with being made from sweat wicking fabric. <laughs> well, there has been this week. There have been some very 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 sweaty tennis players. Um, big week for Maria Sakkari, reaching a final and getting over the semi final hump. Although she also has a final hump, 
She's yeah. a sort of t- 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 <laughs> two humped camel. And I know that's it, it's unfair to put an entirely negative spin on this for Zachary. It's a fantastic week. She produced some, I mean, when she was good in that fight, and against Pagula, in fact, but when she was good in that final, the quality of the hitting from both of them was just divine. They, But you called it full-blooded, didn't you? They just came out thwacking it. And I got the feeling that they both quite liked the feel of one another's ball. They were both really middling it. Um, but the scoreline in the end looked quite one-sided in Coco Goff's favour. And I don't think it was a, an egg lay from Maria Sakkari as she has had in some finals. But it was still a failure to find her best tennis. Um, and I thought maybe a breakthrough had come after the semi-final because I really thought she was saccharying in that semi-final. She's a set and a break up and then it it all starts disappearing from her. And I just thought this is absolute classic. It's all going to go. I've seen and this film before. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. And Maria Sakkari did not like the ending. <laughs> um, and she she steadied that ship. Um, and I was very impressed with how she did that and. The, the sound coming off the the racket when she was cracking that forehand and I can't believe I'm saying this but she looks as fit as she ever has um, I mean it, it's never looked possible for her to be even an iota more fit but maybe she's found that iota but and yet still butted up against the ceiling in the final I mm. think yeah that's it. I had such a feeling of dread watching that semi-final as she was a set and four one up and love thirty and you know it was within touching distance, but you just you just knew that it was it was going to get away from her. So the fact that it it did get away from her, you know, it's it, it's it's the line that Mary Carrillo gives. You know, she choked, but she won anyway. You know, that's sort of mm. that's sort of what Maria Sakkari has needed to find. You know, yes, it's not going to be plain sailing to get through these matches. There's so much baggage. There's so much scar tissue now. But when she did get through that third set against Pagula in the semi-final, and she was brilliant in that set, just blazing winners all over the court. It felt like such a big moment for her to finally win a semi-final. She'd lost her last six. She hadn't won any this year. And then I thought, wow, okay, big moment for Maria Sakkari, cleared that hurdle. And then I was like, oh, I forgot she's also got a final problem. (laughs) Because it had been so long since she'd reached the final. I was was completely obsessed with the semi-final. She's also got this final problem. She uh, she's won that one title in Rabat in mm. 2019, and then lost. Well, it was six in a row. It's now seven finals in a row since then. And I didn't think she played that well in the final. I, I think um, I think there were moments. There was a there was a mini fight back after she initially went to break down, and then there was a really close game, uh, which she ended up losing in that first set. And then in the second set. It was okay to begin with, but then I think she lost, you know, a string of points just to sort of lose lose the momentum in that match, and and it was it was mainly unforced errors. It's it's quite it's quite a fraught experience to watch to watch mm. Zachary when she's like that, and um, yeah, I think I often think when a player breaks through a barrier, you know, like when like, like when Arena Sabalenka finally won a Grand Slam semi final this year. I often think, oh well, that's them changed now. You know, 
they've done it now, they'll be able to do it again. But I think we've seen with Sabalenka at Roland Garros and at Wimbledon that there is still a bit of a semi-final Grand Slam problem for her. That's that, that's something she got over once, but she's got to try and get over it again. And I think I think Sakari is in is in a similar spot. Okay, she got through the semi-final problem, but the final problem is still there. And I don't know. She was she was really upset in the um, speeches mm. afterwards, wasn't she? And in a way, I was in a way I was a bit surprised actually because earlier this year, I remember she she tweeted, didn't she, about her semi final record. Someone said like Kudamatova is coming for your semi final record, Sakari, and tagged her in. Uh, because Kudimatova has lost a load of semi-finals, and Sakari tweeted very, very self-aware she, as a as a joke. She was like, "I'm unbeatable when it comes to my semi-final record," and I I felt like that was a really healthy response to it yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, but maybe now it's just all catching up with her, and she seemed upset. She was a little bit defensive in the press conference about about her record, understandably, because. That's only one way of looking at it, isn't it? You know, the other way of looking at it is she's constantly putting herself in this position. She's more consistent than pretty much anyone on tour. And she's been a top 10 player for so long. And, you know, there are lots of positives to the fact that she reaches so many semifinals. But it is an issue. And I I think she's sort of really coming to terms with that. And it's and it's just tricky for her at the moment. I do wonder if, you know, given everything we've talked about with Coco Goff and her team and everything, and I know actually with Goff, a lot of that, or in the first instance, a lot of that team change-up was enforced, wasn't it? Her previous coach had to step away for for personal issues. It wasn't Coco's choice for them to, to cease working together. But I do wonder if she needs a new voice a different dynamic in that coaching team and I know she is totally happy with the coaching team she is always so quick and so effusive with her praise for for Tom Hill her coach and there was a lot of focus on their dynamic in the first in the Netflix episode that she was spotlighted in um, I think episode three of um, the first batch of episodes and you know she credits him with a lot of her success and I of course don't don't want to take away from that at all but as I say she's butting up against the ceiling and I do I don't know she's there seems to be a codependency there the way the way she looks over at him searching for something and the way that there was a there was an interruption yesterday wasn't there I, I, I think an instance where Coco Goff's CPR skills might have been called into into question. There was somebody um, in some distress in the crowd and she's looking over at Tom Hill and I felt like he felt like he needed to say something just to say something, you know, needed to give her something and he started talking about her needing more height over the net and maybe that was tactical genius. I don't know, but I, I don't... I feel like a new or different voice or dynamic. It's not personal to Tom Hill. I'm sure he's a great coach and she's really comfortable with him, but maybe that comfort is an issue. I mm. I don't know. Yeah. It it's such a it's such a tricky one, isn't it? Because, you know, Carlos Alcaraz is always looking over at his box mm. as well. And you know, and yet Yep, so true. 
and yet you don't get the same feeling that you get when when Zachary's mm. doing it. I was watching that final thinking just just as an experiment, it would be interesting to see Zachary play a match with with no one in her box. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'd just like to see how that would look, what that would look like, because I agree with you. It does really seem like like a like a dependency, a which I, a habit, which I think is. Mm. I think is has got her in this position. It's been really, it's been really good for her. But you know, in, in the words of Billie Jean King, maybe, maybe needs a jolt. Maybe just needs something different. And a jolt, a jolt sometimes is uncomfortable, perhaps. But it, yeah. it, it's maybe, it's maybe what you need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Going to be interesting this week in Montreal, isn't it? I'll come on to talk about that and uh, some of the first round matchups and how the draw might potentially play out the women are in Montreal the men are in Toronto just before we move on to talk about the men in Washington wrapping up uh, WTA events from the week just gone uh, we had the event in Prague which finished mere <laughs> mere hours ago because of how much it rained in Prague apparently they've been having the same weather that we've been having um, Linda Noskova uh, one of the very many young Czech women Lindas. Uh, that are looking incredibly <laughs> promising. She reached the final and uh, was very impressive all week, but beaten by now Hibino, 6-4, 6-1 in the final. Uh, Hibino's also in the doubles final, which I think is yet to be played, mm. also due to rain. <laughs> Maybe Prague will also feature in next week's podcast or <laughs> Thursday's podcast. Yeah, and I think when... Uh, when a lot of rain's involved, the organisers do not want the same people involved in the singles and doubles because then you've got to start providing after suitable rest and all that sort of stuff oh, as well. Yeah, the, the the weather has no time for suitable rest. No, <laughs> it's like um, when the when the crickets rained off and you've got you've got two sessions to to bowl out the Aussies and they're still taking lunch. <laughs> what are you doing? Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking, and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can do with a bit of help sometimes, and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me. And Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. 
Right. Moving on to uh, the men's tournament in Washington, which was won by the new world number 21, Dan Evans. He beat Talon Greeks Paul 7-5-6-3 in the final, topping off, not just on paper, the best week of, of Dan Evans' career. This is his second career, career title, his first at 500 level, but in tennis terms, the best week of Dan Evans' career. We, we've watched a lot of Dan Evans. We're Brits and we also like the way he plays, don't we? He's a he's a swashbuckling watch um, at his best. I've never seen him play that well. He was electrifying this week in Washington, Matt. It was feed it into my veins type of tennis. Mm. It, it, it was really fun waking up in the morning and... Dan Evans being the highlight reel guy who had gone viral overnight because of something that yeah, he'd done. He was a tennis TV dream. Yeah, this and he week. was a, and he was a David Lord dream because yes, David David you know has a has a Solihull connection to Dan Evans and he he loves watching him play as well. And I I tended to find those those highlight reel moments via David on holiday he had he posted it on his own personal twitter he'd retweeted it from the tennis podcast he'd sent it to about three different whatsapp groups that we're I love both it when in david has somehow found a facility in his life to be able to retweet himself <laughs> he loves it he, he loves it yeah. yeah it was like it was like oh matt and Catherine aren't up i'll put it on alcarazmataz see if math's up just, I need to talk about Dan Evans. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, it was it was incredible. It was it was a stretch of tennis against uh, Francis Tiafo, I think, which was the most most eye catching. Oh. Oh, just the- if if you, if any, if anyone listening hasn't seen the highlight reel from that match, which has been floating around on on all social media, just make a point of seeking it out because I know highlight reels. You know, they always look good. You don't see the bad stuff mm. on a highlight reel. And of course, not every point was what you were seeing. But it it, it really was about as good as a highlight reel gets. And I say that in the full knowledge that we are in the Carlos Alcaraz era. It really <laughs> was extraordinary. Yeah, it just a, a guy who's, whose skill level is so high. You know, we've always known that. And he was just exploring the upper limits of that level mm. and it was just incredible to see drop shots uh lobs slice passing shot winners i mean everything you could possibly think of he was he was doing out there and he and he did the did similar against grigor dimitrov in in the semi-finals i think the final was a little less uh showy it was again it was mm. it, it was interrupted this time by rain uh, but still some some great flashes and david i know was very impressed with the with the blend of tennis that evans had attack defense it just felt like he was yes coming up with these amazing shots but also also balanced and playing playing within himself at times and i think i think that was a really great combination and i don't know this this has come from nowhere because he hadn't won a match since april it, it, you know 3 month stretch without winning he'd he'd spoken during the grass court season about how he wasn't looking forward to playing Wimbledon even because he just wasn't getting the results and this therefore strikes me as kind of the perfect example of how Dan Evans has improved over the years because 
you know, when he was a talented young player, he he didn't work hard enough. And if he'd been going through a slump like this, I don't think he would have worked through it and powered through it. But that's exactly what he's done over the last three months. Just kept his head down, kept working, kept sort of believing and trusting that his his class is permanent, you know, and therefore he's now been rewarded with with the biggest title of his career. It's 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 fantastic. And I've no idea whether he is thinking like this, maybe maybe David can ask him, but I would certainly be thinking that yes it was great a couple of years ago when he won that first title. That was a really big moment. But that was that was a title that doesn't really exist anymore. You know, it was it was one of the It was Australian the Great Murray Open Ocean Road or, Adelaide Penguin Trophy. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was one of those. <laughs> Melbourne one or two with a fancy name. Um hmm. it was a it was a pandemic tournament that, that came up because players were in a bubble and they needed matches. And it was great that he won that. It was a big moment. But I almost feel like in a way winning Winning a really prestigious title like Washington, you know, you see the list of names and former winners who've who've won that event. He's the first Brit to win it since since Tim Henman twenty years ago. I don't know. That just must. I'd have thought that must mean something even more to win to win such a prestigious t- stop on the tour. And I think it's I think it's brilliant for him. Yeah, I I think the courts in Washington suit him mm. perfectly. Um, just favour his favour that blend favour somebody that's got natural talent and the ability to respond respond differently depending on the the challenge and it it rewards net play but you, you know we're not talking about serve and volley first and second serve net play but somebody that's got the instincts to to be at the net when it's when it's most required and Dan Evans absolutely has those instincts and I'm trying to remember I I mean I I, I think the whole week actually was a fantastic advert for a fast hard court um that that is how hard court should be I think what we saw in Washington I think they're pretty similar to the US Open I mean the US Open has produced really good tennis over the last few years they've they've felt quick and I know it's the balls as well it's the the blend between the balls and the courts can't quite remember what to expect in terms of speed in Toronto and Montreal and whether there's much of a difference between Toronto and Montreal I I just hope it's all the same as Washington cuz I loved it. Dan Evans and plenty of others just it rewarded swashbuckling tennis and yes. swashbuckle is what I want to see. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean Evans reached the semis last year in in Montreal. So mm. you know, yeah, I, gosh, I, I've forgotten that. I, I think he he can thrive in those conditions as mm. well. I I always think Cincinnati's quite quick. Um yes. and yeah. The US Open recently has been as well, hasn't it? Yeah, quick courts, attacking tennis. And shout out to Greek Spore as well, because he was brilliant this week. And he's someone who who likes to come forward as well and, and is pretty good up at the net. And he, I've always had him in the same category as like a Struff. Like, why aren't you ranked a bit higher? Why aren't you better? Because whenever I watch you... You've got really nice strokes and you seem quite dangerous. And he's having a great season. He's already won a couple of titles. He was looking for his his third title this year. And I think 
matchup wise is a good one for Evans. He, he he'd already mm. beaten him a couple of times coming into that match. He was able to make him look a bit one dimensional, wasn't he? Yeah. Whereas Greekspor, I think, really thrived against Taylor Fritz in in the semi-finals. You know, it was a bit more of a hitting contest. Fritz, I think, was a bit tired after doing double duty the day before and in the heat, and he won that first set and then tailed off. But Greekspor was brilliant, and um, yeah, just just a fun week of tennis in in Washington. Yeah, just to make it less fun, <laughs> um, just to pick up on something else you were saying earlier. I mean, the it was this whole week for for Dan Evans. We had a chat, didn't we, on our WhatsApp group of what on earth has has changed and clicked into gear for for Dan Evans um, because he's he it, well exactly as you say he hadn't won a match for three months and suddenly he's winning a tournament and winning two matches in one day. <laughs> um, that that is an unreal turnaround. And David sort of wasn't biting on the chat was he? He was sort of saying, well, he's been telling us he's been playing well in practice and that he's, he'll trust that it will come eventually. And I don't know, I was I was searching for some sort of headline-y, sensationalist reason for, for the turnaround. And it's so unsexy, isn't it? But it's just a reminder that when these tennis players and all sportsmen and women trot out these lines about process, not outcome, and we all roll our eyes and just think, I can't, that is not a quote, mate. That is the most <laughs> boring thing anyone's ever said. Um, but it's true, isn't it? Mm. It is absolutely true. And they're right to say it. And they're right to think that way. And you just got to trust it, haven't you? I mean, I do think... That is also something that can be hidden behind if you want to be in denial about where you are. Um, but that doesn't mean it's, you know, j- just because that can happen doesn't mean it, it it does happen. And he's been telling us all throughout this slump, I'm playing well, I'm doing the right things, I've just got to trust it will come. I'm frustrated, but I, I, I trust, as, as you said, Matt, class is permanent and it will come and here it is coming you know everything coming together and yeah it's just a reminder that as much as it's not a great quote (laughs) to to hear people saying that doesn't mean it's not true doesn't mean they're fobbing us off or not telling us the the gritty truth sometimes the gritty truth is that sport is about process not outcome (laughs) and that is incredibly boring Mm. um but well done to dan evans um taylor fritz and andy murray played just the most extraordinary match didn't they earlier in the week murray was playing so well again i think the courts really really rewarded his style of play and brought the best out of him he was thundering that forehand you just you just love to see him playing tennis like that. It was real. It was real similarities to me to the Sitsipas match, not in terms of the rhythm of it and the the you know the coming back the next day and all of that jazz, but just my impressions were, oh wow, Murray's playing serious tennis here, serious top level tennis against a serious top level tennis player, and oh oh, he's lost. Yeah, I always get. A slight wave of sadness watching Murray play like that against 
one of today's top players like Sitsipas or like Fritz because honestly I do think Murray's Murray's better than these guys. He's he he's he's got a level and a class above and yet he's not quite able to bring it because of or or he's restricted in bringing it because of the fact that he's got a metal hip. And I, I'm always just struck by this what if that hadn't happened and where would Murray be now? You know, we we sort of debated that on a recent episode for, for Friends of the Pod and mm. I can't I can't get that out of my mind when I watch Murray come so close in these matches and, and end up losing them because, you know, that's that's not to say that Fritz and Sitsipas aren't great players and Murray is playing at a high level and it takes it takes great performances to beat him and Sitsipas was awesome at Wimbledon and Fritz was awesome again in Washington in that match. So, you know, in a way it's a it, it's a it's a positive. It's it, it's a it's a way of praising Murray to say that he's still able to produce that kind of tennis and yet I don't know, you see him you know, you see him construct points against Fritz. You know, they're trading backhands and you think, oh, Murray's, Murray's a step ahead in this rally. And then he mm. throws in the drop shot and then he passes him. And it's like, it's all it's all panned out perfectly for him. And yet, you know, because he's got that medal hit, he can't, he can't do it like he used to be able to do it for so long. And there are limitations on what he can do. And I don't know. I, I I find that I'm finding that genre of match quite difficult, and I feel like we're seeing it quite a lot at the moment because Murray is playing well, and yet he is still being beaten by by players that fundamentally I think he's sort of better than, but have got that edge on him at the moment. I feel really haunted by that line he gave in his pre Wimbledon press conference about playing until his hip runs out. Yeah. Oh, wasn't it finishes? Finishes. <laughs> Finish. Like, how will you know? Will it just disintegrate? Um, I've just got this mental image of this hip sort of being slowly ground yeah. down like a meat mincer. Um, and now I've given that image to all of you. You're welcome. Um, uh, you mentioned Sitsipas. He won the title in Los Cabos, Mexico. He beat Alex de Menor in the final 6-3, 6-4. I really struggled to watch any of this because it all happens in the middle of the night for us because of time difference and the fact that they can't play during the day because it is so hot. And by all accounts, um, it was still extraordinarily hot at night a friend of mine uh, was out there working for the ATP and she was struggling with with the heat yeah it's it's a very difficult tournament for us to watch um the the headlines i think are that really surprising that this was his first title on an outdoor hard court i had i had what? not yeah i had not realized that all of his previous nine titles were either on an indoor hard court on a clay court or he won that one on on grass in in Mallorca last year he hadn't hadn't won a title on outdoor hard court I couldn't I couldn't believe that when I when I realized it um maybe a bit like what we were saying with Fritz last week in Atlanta like I'm not sure this tells us anything new about Sitsipas I still feel like 
he it's the slams where he's going to be judged because he's a top top player but he sort of needed this week he's been in mm. been in a bit of a weird place on the tennis court for a while now um and on instagram yeah <laughs> Uh, he he traditionally doesn't do so well in in the second half of the season. So the, again, no, he a... goes six love five love down to Daniel Galan mm. in this part of the season. That's a big thing for him. Um, he's won ten out of ten matches now against Alex Dumanor, which again I found quite surprising. Like that's just <laughs> why is that not a slightly closer head to head? I mean, I guess. And they're not close matches, are they? No, generally? like really not. Yeah, they're, it's really one-sided. Dimonor doesn't really even win sets in that matchup. I think he's, you know, I think he's quite a defensive player, isn't he, Dimonor? And maybe he just can't exploit that sits a pass backhand in a way that some others can, and mm. sits a pass jumps on him and, and plays really well. Um, two other headlines for sits a pass in Los Cabos. One is that he seems to be working with Mark Filipusis again. Yeah. Uh, After that seemed to end, <laughs> Philippoussis was with him in Los Cabos and his, his father wasn't, I don't Does think. Does that mean that there was that weird Instagram post, wasn't there, on Sitsipas's Instagram? <laughs> yeah. In no, I don't think Apostolos's, it does mean that. <laughs> no? In Apostolos's voice that mm. sounded like a goodbye? Yeah, but then he's been... He's, that was, I don't know when that was. I think yeah. that was post-Roland Garros, maybe. maybe, And he's been Yeah, it was. And he was very since. much there at Wimbledon, wasn't he? Yeah. I think the father's still part of the team. It's just that Philippoussis is back part of the team, which I think okay. is a good thing. I do think Philippoussis is a, is a good influence, if he mm. can have influence. If he that's, can have his voice heard. That's yeah. kind of the problem. It, it's an awkward one after... You know, Sitsipas's quotes after that relationship ended were, I needed to only have one voice. There were too many mm. voices, and I decided that voice needed to be my dad. Yeah. So, I don't know, there, there are questions to be, yeah. be asked there. Yeah. I mean, I do wonder whether that will be more of a template for them, that, yes, they're both part of the team, but only maybe one travels to some events, and some mm. events they're both at. I don't know. That's purely speculation. But, you know, it obviously worked for him this week. And then the and then the final note is that his uh, his toughest match of the week was against Nicholas Jarry. Just just putting that out. Who's there. good? Who is good? That was a, that was a very good match. That was a match I did watch actually because it was so late in Los Cabos that it was with Nicholas Jarry. That it was early here and I could watch it. And I'm obsessed with Nicholas Jarry, even though he let me down. Have you um, have you seen that Paolo Bedosas started wearing a headband? Like sit to pass, right? I mean, where though? She's not been playing. I saw there were some Instagram pictures. Of course, <laughs> mm. she she only exists on Instagram for me <laughs> now, not on a tennis court. Uh, anyway, just drop that bomb on you. Uh, before we talk about Dominic Team, he reached a final. Yes. He won a deciding set tiebreak, and it all happened in Kitchbuhl, of course. Ended up losing out to uh, Sebastian Byers, 6-3, 6-1. Um, he's, in the words of David Law, sneaky good, Sebastian Byers, particularly on clay. Uh, beat David's pick, Thomas Martin Echeverry, in the sem- semi-finals? Was that quarter? Yeah, semi-finals. Um, and went on to win that title. Um, but we are going to talk about Dominic Team. 
Um, and I'm going to ask you the impossible question, Matt. What does it mean? <laughs> is this is this just a one-off Kitchbewley week for Dominic Team, or is this a marker on the path to all the way back? Could it be somewhere in between? I feel like it's a um, it's a step to to getting closer to all the way back. I don't know how that, that is so vague, and yeah, I, I hate a, myself a, for a, saying it. A marker it, on but, the path. Yeah, like mm. I, I don't. I'm not sure that he's ever going to get all the way back. I think I think I'm coming to terms with that. Maybe. Oh, I feel like that's the first time I've heard you say that out loud. But I, I really. I really think he can he can do a lot he can get a lot closer to where he is now and this therefore was a really big week for him because we saw a lot of things from team that we just haven't seen that much of recently. He came back from a set down in three matches. He won two tie breaks in his first match saving a load of set points and generally he was he was playing well or playing better the bigger the moment got. And that is something that we just haven't seen. Um, mm. in, in, absolutely extraordinary match against Laszlo Gero in the in the oh. semi-finals. He he didn't lose serve in that match. Three and a half hours he held all eighteen service games, which again is a good sign because mm-hmm. it means a sort of sustained level. He's not having the lapses that he's been having in recent matches. Um, saved all thirteen break points he faced, and then saved five match points as well including including one with an absolutely huge forehand winner and you know again it's a fine line isn't it because maybe if that had gone out we'd have thought what are you doing Dominic going for that shot on that point but because it went in my analysis is oh he was courageous and he was gutsy and he was (laughs) bold and he backed himself in the big moment and that's a that's a step up you know and I was just so happy to see him happy, you know, because oh. he's been he's been really stressed on the tennis court and sad and it's been a tough watch. He's he's been he's been internalizing, I think, a lot of frustration and then and then getting really angry with himself when he does let it out and it's it's just been it's just been tricky, but this week to see the look on his face after some of the wins that he that he battled through was just was just brilliant and um no, obviously he can't. He can't play a a home tournament on clay every week. It was, as you said, it's there is a Kitzbühel element to this. I think that was a big factor, and the and the crowd and the atmosphere was, you know, old Davis Cup oh. style. It was unbelievable the mm. the support and the noise that that there was for him. So of course that you know you'd think that would help him play better, and he's you know he's now got to go on a hard court, and it's not going to be in Kitzbühel, you know. The conditions were better for him this week to be able to play that tennis. But I just think he needed some positive feelings and he got them. And it feels important. I'm hoping and so. And to win because... some close matches. We'd seen him lose so mm. many close matches. Yeah. Did you hear um did you hear Sebastian Byers in the trophy ceremony to pay tribute to Dominic Team as as you do in a in a trophy speech and say, I, 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 you were a hero of mine growing up. You really yeah. inspired me. I was like, aren't you two about the same age? <laughs> Shocked to discover Sebastian Byers is only 22, but also like 
come on, Dominic Team is still, you know, still let's not talk about him like he's like he's Stan Rinker yet. He's still the next gen. <laughs> Baez is sneaky good. Well, and unexpectedly just... only twenty two years old. <laughs> it, incredibly inconsistent. I mean, the summer of this time last year, he won Borstad. And then lost 17 of his next 18 matches. And then won Cordoba this year in February. And then since Cordoba has lost 16 more matches, including four in a row. And now he's just won Kitzbühel. Yeah, he wasn't a factor in the clay court season, was he? At all. Didn't pop up. He just just pops up now and again and wins a title. And then, then, in the Dahl's words, does a disaster. Predictions nightmare, Sebastian mm. Byers. How, how I mean, don't want to, don't want to, you know, say too much against David when he's not here to defend himself. But David's behaviour on WhatsApp towards Dominic Team this week was unacceptable. Was pretty egregious. I Absolutely. would say. Absolutely, yeah, it was a hate crime. Yeah, yeah. David picked Thomas Martin Echeverry. <laughs> um, to win the title this week and we have nothing against Thomas Martin Echeverry here on the tennis podcast we've enjoyed his tennis very much this week but you've you've got to be a hard-hearted human not to be wanting the best for for Dominic team and not really a tennis fan like, tennis wants him back to to come all the way back or somewhere near to all the way back but because David had picked Thomas Martin Echeverry to win the title and he really only cares about his Himself. standing in the predictions competition, <laughs> he didn't give two hoots about Dominic Team. Yeah, I said in a, in a hypothetical final when they were both in the semis between Echeverry and Team, who's your heart with, David? And he, and he, he said Echeverry for mm. the predictions points. Mm. Mm. That's it really the took me David's back. Actually, I've, I, I I know David Law, and I've known him a long time. Um, and I do. I have to keep reminding myself he is good people. But that was egregious. Yeah. Um, this week the ATP is in Toronto. First round matches include Gilmore Fees, uh, who had a good week in Washington, didn't he? Couple of couple of big wins. Beat Alexander Bublik. Mm. Got himself a warning for lack of effort en route to that victory. Uh, that was that was wild. Uh, Dimitrov against Chorich, first round. Andy Murray against Lorenzo Sonigo. Milos Raonic against Francis Diafo. Uh, and Alex de Menor against Cameron Norrie. They play doubles together quite a lot, mm. don't they, de Menor and Norrie? Uh, Alcaraz is back. Uh, Holger Rune, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Yannick Sinner, they're all in the top half. Rublev, Rude, Fritz and Medvedev all in the bottom half. There's been some very cute Medvedev with daughter content floating around this week. Medvedev in dad mode is very, (laughs) very wholesome stuff. Uh, The WTA is in Montreal. First round matches include Haddad Meyer against Bedosa, Madison Keys against Venus Williams, Jennifer Brady against Yelena Ostapenko, uh, Camilla Georgie against Bianca Andrescu, Caroline Wozniacki 
is coming back this week. Mm. She starts against qualifier Kim Birrell, the Aussie, on Tuesday and could play Marketa von Drosheva in round two. I'm really interested in the level that Wozniacki's going to bring. And that's, that's, let's face it, a kind first round draw for Wozniacki. Uh, Shontek, Goff, Pagula, Sakari are all in the top half. The bottom half is Garcia, Rabakina, Kvitova, Sabalenka and the number one ranking is on the line this week. Sabalenka can reach number one if she wins the title and Shontek fails to reach the quarterfinals. We need to enjoy this week while we can because it's it's the it's the dying one week Masters one thousand event. I'm so pumped for it. I know. I don't yeah. have to stress about what round we're in yeah. or Yeah, it's kind of the in lots of ways the ideal one thousand week um for me. I like the two cities thing, I like the alternating, I like it being one week, that's all great. The prize money situation is incredibly sub optimal total men's prize money for 2023 is $6,600,000 uh, and for the women in Montreal it's $2,788,000 so that's no good but hopefully something that will improve in years to come and mm. we will follow it closely yeah we've got um we've got two more years of of Canada and Cincinnati as one week events but they will be there will be two week masters events Ooh. in in 2025 hmm. do you think that can be reversed i feel like nobody likes it or do you feel like the that well, now the genie's out of the bottle i think the unfortunately i think the people making the decisions like it hmm Okay. okay. We don't <laughs> remember when remember when we had influence at Wimbledon. We no longer have that. <laughs> no. No. Even less with David not here. Yeah. Uh on to happier things. We have a mascot for this episode and that mascot is Rosie. Uh not my Rosie, but another lovely Ro- Rosie, an 18-month-old golden retriever owned by Adam. Rosie's favourite activities include coming along to tennis and helping to pick up the tennis balls, stealing socks and looking cute. Wholeheartedly agree, Adam. Rosie is absolutely gorgeous. I love a golden retriever. They just, they are the epitome of man's best friend, aren't they? And we have a lovely picture of Rosie pictured with tennis balls on what looks like an astroturf court. Mm. Yeah, that's my assessment. Kinds that's of a knees. shame. Astroturf. <laughs> oh yes, sorry, you're not a fan, are you? <laughs> but kind, kind on the joints. You'll appreciate that one day, Matt. But I can still beat David on it. <laughs> <laughs> we got another podcast without David on Thursday. I already can't wait. Uh, David has his mascot Maisie, with whom. Uh, he and uh, Thomas Martin at Javeri failed to score points. I can't talk because my pick lost uh, in the opening round to Alexander Shevchenko. Uh, sorry, Zenia, for that. Matt and Darwin didn't fare much better this week. Who did you have, Matt? I had Jessica Bagula. And, oh. uh, yes, Maria Sakkari chose to, chose to break her semi-final duck in that one. So... 
Sorry, Darwin. It literally happens to the best of us every week, <laughs> Matt. Uh, Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And we will save shout outs for when David is back, because who wants a David Lawless shout out? Nobody. Or maybe some people. Um, and if that is what you'd like, pop it in the... Uh, Pop it in the notes for your shout out. <laughs> this is a uh, this is a hashtag learning from last year when we did get some emails from people when when one mm. of you or David was missing and shout outs they just weren't the same. So they weren't the same. So we're no, saving we, we them. We don't now. want to. We don't want to shortchange anyone. So we will be back with shout outs next Monday. That's when David will be back. Matt and I will be back. On Thursday with our Midway Montreal and Toronto review. And we will speak to you then. In the meantime, sign up to the newsletter. Enter the competition if you're a friend of the pod or if you'd like to become a friend of the pod in order to enter the competition. The link to do that is in our show notes, as is the link to subscribe to the newsletter. Tell your friends and tune in again on Thursday. We'll speak to you then. 